If you're selling B2B, how would you like to know a really slick strategy for getting into people's inboxes on LinkedIn without being really sleazy or any kind of tactics that you would just cringe upon? Because my guest today, Tibau Suris, is going to teach you exactly how you're going to do that. Have you ever heard a story that just made you feel, wow, I'm ready, I'm fired up? A story that captures everyone's attention and gets you to spread it to all your friends? Or how about a story that creates real impact and connection with the audience? Why do stories do this? And how can we create stories like this in business? I've been obsessed with figuring these questions out. I've been starting and failing multiple online businesses now for two years, struggling to find an audience I truly wanted to serve. It wasn't until I discovered my dream customers were struggling with these exact questions, except I didn't know where to find these people. I hopped on a plane to the US to attend a marketing conference that I met my dream customers, and I saw firsthand how powerful stories really are. After that, I went all in on my hunch. If you're looking for the real secrets behind how stories can get your audience fired up to take action and to change their lives through your words, this podcast is for you. My name is Jules Dan, and this is Storytelling Secrets. Right, so my guest today, Tipao, so he is like me on LinkedIn, and he's really heavily invested into coaching and training B2B sales teams to generate more opportunities and close deals faster. And I'm not going to lie, this is going to be a really note-taking worthy, worth, note-take worthy episode. Uh, we, I personally wanted to figure out the messaging sort of strategy behind LinkedIn and he gives you a very, very detailed outline strategy behind that um, and I know that people are longing for that and because there are just so many bad apples teaching really crappy strategies um, and Tipao honestly gives you one of the best foot in the door strategies out there, um, especially if you're in the B2B area but otherwise, I'm not going to hold you up too long, enjoy our conversation. Um, I was wondering if you could, you know, take my listeners back to how did you really get started with B2B sales? So, um, actually, I started in B2B sales basically when I was 15. So, I started like uh, selling aircraft, aircraft cleaning services in the local airfield in Switzerland. So, uh, that was in Lausanne. As you do Pardon? when you're 15 years I said, as you do when you're 15 years old. Yeah, that's actually when I was 15 years old. That's that's what I did. So basically, I wanted to learn how to fly planes. And my grandfather told me, okay, stop talking. Uh, and uh, if you want to do that, you have to make money. So basically, like uh, it cost 12,000 Swiss, Swiss francs at the time to do like a pilot license. So they say the best way to go is just to go and uh, make your own money. So I went there and I started like proposing uh, to clean aircraft for aircraft owners. So as you know, like stealing some uh, shampoo or, you know, like uh, uh, things to, to clean airplanes from my parents. And I was going in and charging 20 Swiss francs an hour. So that's how I started basically when I was 15. Uh, but then nice. I basically like uh, I moved to, uh, uh, to Canada at 18 to do my studies. Um, and there, you know, I created a company called, uh, I mean, I co-founded a company called Buddy Pilots, which was like a, a general aviation management platform. And uh, there, you know, I kind of uh, learned the hard way about B2B sales. I basically didn't sell anything. And, uh, and like when I really learned, I could, I could say B2B tech sales was back in uh, 2015 for a company called Applause, which is a crowd testing company. So they were selling like, uh, we're selling 
subscription to a, a, crowd, a crowd of a community of 400,000 testers. And I was selling that to the French market. So that's how I, I started basically in sales. Okay, cool. And that's really interesting. So your, your history started when you were uh, went to other pilots, I'm guessing, or owners of the planes and then offered to clean their, their planes. What, what did that pitch sound like when you approached them? So that was, uh, let me remember. So basically uh, I started with, uh, uh, I had like a, I, I printed some small business cards that I was putting in the, uh, the airplane kind of uh, window. I mean, yep. uh, yeah, you can see. And uh, that didn't work so much, but that was mostly from intro. So I started like, uh, I was just hanging at the airport and there was a guy, you know, it was a small airfield. There was kind of no security. You know, it was like, it's, it's, it's very easy to go there. Mm -hmm. And it was not dangerous because it was not too close to the runways. But I was in the hangar and then I saw guys say, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I was asking them uh, what they were doing, how they clean their planes. And often they were like, oh, I don't really clean my plane. I just do it like, you know, once in a while. And then before the season and mid-season and at the end of the season, I say, okay, but what, what do you, how do you feel if I was to clean your plane? And they were like, I don't know. I mean, I think that, that could be a pretty cool idea. And then I was explaining that, that I was also working in a flight school. I knew how to clean the planes because, you know, a plane is obviously something very uh, like fragile. So, I mean, it's not, but you, you can actually mess it up very easily on the ground. So they were, you know, they were not sure. And, and at some point, you know, I started like having word of mouth and that was pretty easy from that. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of had you really a little mini sales script going from when yeah. you were younger. How did that really develop when you said that you were, um, you said you went then working and selling tech products. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, this, this thing I did was like, uh, it was kind of my first entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, uh, venture, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you know was pushed by my grandfather, and he said, "Okay, just go and do that." Uh, and then you know I went to Canada to do my normal studies, so I studied marketing. Uh, and there, like you know, I had this business, but the the thing is, is it didn't really work because what I was doing, we were selling to private pilots uh, and flight schools, and this is kind of a, a market that is shrinking every year because pilots are dying because they're old. That's the thing. It's like. Private pilot aviation is actually uh, private aviation is actually disappearing because of many things, but like uh, oil price and regulatory pressures and all these kind of things. And now you basically learn, learn to be a pilot to fly big planes. You don't really learn to be like uh, a private pilot anymore. So we were selling there, and it was kind of completely failing because the market was uh, it was non-existent, and also I had no clue how to sell anything. You know, I was doing like super long demos and. Uh, People were like, "Well, that's great. You know, I like it, but I need this, 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 and this. And I was like, okay, cool. So I had no clue how to sell software. So then I, I kind of uh, moved to Berlin from Montreal mm -hmm. uh, in 2015. And that's really where I learned how to do that because I was into a team where we didn't know so much about sales, but my boss at the time was really, uh, really good at observing and learning on, on the spot. And uh, I had this, we had this culture of just doing, you know, and we were just like, like doing so many calls, like, and kind of talking to so many people that at some point it worked. And we really, that's where I really learned outbound sales uh, and how to just like uh, go from nothing into a market to a few millions of revenue uh, in a few years. Okay. Uh, so when you went to Berlin, that's where you sort of really learned how to do B2B outreach, B2B sales. Um, when did you then take the step 
um, to start your own thing, like what you're doing right now? Um, and was it out of frustration or was it just an opportunity that you saw? So it's actually, that's, uh, it's really cool that you asked me that. So I can, uh, I can really like remember this a bit. So basically like I, I, I worked at Applause for a bit less than three years. When I started, I arrived and I was account executive, which means I was just, uh, I was full cycle rep. So I was uh, responsible for finding the leads, contacting them, you know, like uh, generating like the, the first uh, call, then doing the discovery call, negotiating, closing contract and renewing. So we had to do everything. And, uh, and there, you know, I, I started from, you know, the, from scratch and I brought the revenue to 2.5 million in two, yeah, two and a half year. And then we had the team, like from, I was alone in the team to 10 people in the French team. So that was really a great learning curve. I learned so much there, but at some point I was a bit like uh, tired of it, you know, because, you know, you got this thing where it's a bit the, the far west and you're just like with your gun shooting everywhere. And then, you know, like the far west becomes more of a, of an established thing where it's a market with the territory and things are a bit more uh, like uh, standard. And then you, you become from like uh, this kind of cow- lone cowboy, just like surviving or, or thriving in the desert to like a manager and then you're managing teams and, uh, and you're more managing process and, and it's just not as interesting as before. So I was uh, like, okay, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a bit bored there. So I, wanted, I found a new kind of job in a company called Branch which is like a US-based company uh, from California that is doing like uh, deep linking. So it's kind of a, like attribution for mobile. It's pretty complicated. Even if I worked there, I have no clue what I was selling basically. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. The, the, the pay was great. The company is a unicorn. So it was like, for me, it was really okay. I felt like I was stepping into a new game. And actually, it was not the case at all. So what happened is... Uh, uh, Whenever you're in sales, in B2B sales, and you're successful, you know, whenever you go to a new company, you have to prove yourself. You're no one for, the, for, for them. You know, you have to restart everything and it takes a lot of time. And so, you know, there was this thing. Also, I was not really believing so much in the product and what they were, like the strategy behind it. And actually, I was having this kind of, uh, of struggle coming. And, you know, I, I felt like this was, I was really unhappy. So I was going home every day, really unhappy. And then... Basically, uh, I attended the training there in California. So we went for what we call the sales kickoff. So it happens one or twice, once or twice a year. And we just have training there. And that's where I met like a sales trainer. So his name is uh, Skip Miller. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was like, I went to the training and after three hours, I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. Like what he's doing right now, that's what I want to do. And when I learned how much money he was making doing that, I was like, this, this is really my thing. So uh, I kind of started thinking, okay, I need to get out of this. And here's my, my way out. And so there was not really any opportunity, but I was just like, the pain was so big. I remember reading like a, an art, like a series of articles from uh, Mark Manson. You know this guy? Yeah. Um, he is the one who's so lot of not giving a fuck, right? Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's as cheesy as it can get, but it's, there was a lot of interesting things. And uh, there was some point where he was saying like, you know, I kind of came to the realization that I was taking a bigger risk staying employed than just going my own way. And, you know, like when in these kind of companies, you get like, um, you get stock and a lot of people, like they, get, they give you the promise that you will actually become a millionaire when they go, they do IPO. Yeah, and there's a cliff, you know, of, of one year. So I was there for five months and I had to wait another seven months 
to actually uh, to actually get access to my first uh, 12 months of uh, equity. And I was like, maybe it's going to be unicorn. Maybe and like in the best of the best, I could actually become a millionaire with uh, with that. But this is not even worth waiting seven months to do what I want to do. So I kind of left. Yeah, yeah. It was my boss was just like a ser- a serious loser. So it was really really tough. And uh, you know, it, it was like there was a lot of things that were really bad. So my boss was, you know, he he was there, and uh, that was also his. How to say it's like uh, that was not the role for him, you know. So he's a good guy, but like didn't work. And uh, he was incompetent. <laughs> he was, yeah, seriously incompetent, yeah. So, uh, but you know, it's like you know that happens. Huh? That happens all the time. But you know, I came to a realization that I just couldn't have a boss anymore. And so I left, created my own company, find my first, first customer. And uh, yeah, here I am. Nice. Okay. A really cool story. Um, a, a bit of a, a long arc to get there, but I really enjoyed how you, you didn't just see some ad and feel like, hey, I want to be a sales expert. Like you went through all the pain and you did all the, ro- and went through all the ropes and even went through the managing position, figured it out. Like I actually want to do the salesy stuff. Um, but then the more you, you sort of like went back down that road and then you saw that inspiration of someone who's actually more of like an educator, someone who's actually selling yeah. information of how you do that. And that's what's, uh, and coupled with your incompetent boss, that's what really sparked <laughs> you this, to um, start this new venture. Now, that's sort of what we want to talk about today. And um, all that, I guess, B2B sales on LinkedIn and storytelling. But I was, I'm very curious. I was wondering if you could tell my audience kind of like an outline of what your B2B sales process on LinkedIn looks like. Um, and then maybe we can jump into some of the details as we go through. Okay. Yeah. So basically on the, so my, on LinkedIn, what, that's something I've actually learned. Uh, so I'm practicing it every day and uh, I'm learning as I go. And basically like one thing that is important to know about my, you know, like the LinkedIn training I give and, and the philosophy behind it is, it's not something that you, you it's not like the typical uh, Gary V approach or people where they say, Hey, build a personal brand on LinkedIn, you know, and become a thought leader or influencer because that's pretty great, you know, to be a thought leader influencer. But I don't think that should be a goal as such. That's more like a consequence of what you're doing and the value you're providing in your content. And so my outline for B2B sales is really like for uh, people who are, you know, may not have a lot of experience in what they're doing or have a ton of experience, but that have a clear understanding of a, uh, like the, of the fact that they want to generate leads and they want to generate business and they want to have people like saying, oh, you, you're so amazing. You're such a thought leader and there's no business coming out of it. They really want to do that and without be, like having to wait to be a thought leader. So basically I have like a, a six-step uh, pro- program basically where like the first is always the same. It's like understanding who you want to sell to. So understanding what I call your ICP, your ideal customer profile, which is a mix of like the typical company you want to work with and a typical individual in this company you want to work with. So if I take my example, I work with uh, like tech companies that have you know raised a Series A or more that are selling B2B and that have, that have international inside sales teams. So that's, uh, that's one, like uh, one typical company I work with. And in this company, I'm, ta- I'm talking to the VP of sales. So this mix of a company type and individual like title is what I call an ICP. And so this ICP is really like, that's really understanding this kind of thing. So that's the first there step. And then it's understanding what problems they're trying to solve. So it's really 
you know, it's not like uh, what you'll see often is people will approach you with features and benefits of the solution they have, and they will not kind of worry, like think about what problem you try to solve. So an example with like a VP of sale is, is that if you're in a high growth company and you have 10 reps uh, starting every, every day, I mean, every month, sorry, you have to train 10 new people every month. And so that's, that's a problem. And so for me, that would be a way I, w- I would help people. So that, that's the first step. Then you have like a LinkedIn profile optimization, which is another very important step is like on, on LinkedIn, you have a profile and a lot of time this profile is uh, either incomplete or is showcasing stuff that are not relevant to your ICPs. So again, remember we identify who we want to talk to, what are the problems? So your profile should be giving information on what problem you're solving. So that's one thing. And then I'm talking about like uh, content building. So how do you create and curate content? So you don't need to actually create original content, but how do you create that content so that people can actually see, notice you on LinkedIn and then start interacting with it? And this is actually a really good strategy for, you know, seeing like uh, what content like your audience really like, what actually is your audience that you're attracting with your content because sometimes you can do some content and assume that it's a, uh, it's going to fit for a certain audience, but sometimes it's not the right audience that comes to it. And, uh, and so it's really about building this content. And then you have like the network building, which is like step four, which is proactively adding people on LinkedIn and making sure that they fit again with your ICP so they can see and engage with your content. And then it creates some kind of echo chamber. And this echo chamber can be used for like the last stage, which is like strategic outreach is how do you use all this, this what I call influencer pool. So all these people who are engaging, commenting with you, which often do not buy or make any decision. How do you use that to talk to the decision maker and say, hey, look, I'm helping your guys here. We should talk actually so I can seriously help them in a customized way. And that's basically like the, uh, the process I have. Okay. So I've got here, just a recap. It's a, first off, you want to get very clear on your ICP or um, ideal customer profile. So the title, mm-hmm. position, who they are in a sense. Then you want to go over next what their problems are and what they're trying to solve specifically because too many people are making the mistake of presenting features and benefits, but rather like what what solution can you provide for me? Yeah. Number three is optimizing your LinkedIn profile so that if someone lands on your, on your page, it's pretty much like an ad to say like this the exact problem that I solve for you. Yeah. Uh, the fourth one is content curation. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious as to, we'll just, I was going to touch on this a little bit. So are you, is, does your ICP, for instance, and when you're teaching this, um, are they don't have the time to create content themselves or they don't want to, or how can you suggest curation over um, just creating it yourself? So uh, that's kind of a, a pretty vast topic on that. And, uh, and a lot of time, Personally, I kind of like uh, didn't really like creating content. I do it a lot now. So I kind of start liking it, but it's something where there's a bunch of uh, procedures that you can use. So, so there's a, a system, let's say when you write a post, there's kind of a structure which is called the wave structure that you can use that looks like a wave, you know? So you start with a long sentence and then you slowly go like that. That's oh, something yeah. I learned from a guy called Justin Welch. And so... Um, so, but the thing is, most people actually don't really like building content or they are not really good at that. So the best way to do is actually to find content that actually can make sense for your audience. I'll give you an example. For me, a lot of my audience is in Europe, in EMEA, and uh, a lot of the, the kind of content I, pro- I produce 
comes and is inspired by the um, best practices we see in the US. And so what I do is like, often what's going to happen in, uh, with content in the US is going to be super, like, it's going to be very tactical, but very cheesy. So they will, you know, they will start doing comparison and say, hey, look, here's me with my daughter and I teach her about leadership. The daughter is five. Seriously, like, give her a break. She, she's, just a, she's just like a kid. So leadership, great, but like, that's not that important. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, how do you take the right piece of content that is interesting? So the tactical advice and tra- like turn it into something that is interesting for your audience. So in Europe, yeah. if you go with yeah. this cheesy approach, a lot of people are like, that's not really, you know, they don't buy it, you know. So it's really about like taking some of this content and curating it for your audience. And, uh, and that's the idea is like, there's a bunch of frameworks you can use where you will simply like uh, link to an article, like uh, say, hey, I saw this great article and you'll do that. And there's different stages you can go until actually creating your own content. But that's something it's always coming at say at the end of the, uh, of the kind of uh, content creation process. Okay. And um, is one strategy for this curation um, to say, you know, you present something, but you have your own story and your own spin on and your opinion on what that content can mean to your ideal person, because there might be some hidden benefit inside of there unless you sort of go in there and um, really find it for them. So is that part of your strategy as well? So do you mean like a, kind of uh, summarizing some kind of content and, and providing and uh, showcasing that to your audience? Yeah, summarizing it, um, but also sort of like, you know, like you maybe you've read the content, but then you've added your opinion to it. So that way, so people can feel like, yeah. oh, so I know what this person's all about as well. Yeah, so that, that's obviously something that is really interesting to do. I always recommend not to do it at the beginning because the problem is uh, it's people like to, to hear opinions but uh, it's always good to have first an audience kind of understand your style, what works before giving opinions. Because that's one thing I really, I really don't like. And you see it often is you have like a junior SDR who's been like three months in the role giving your opinions on how to do sales, you know, and they're like, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, like opinions are great, but first, you know, you maybe have to, to be humble, learn about that. And one great way to do that is instead saying, Hey, here are struggles I, I'm having. Here are things I'm trying to reach. How can you help my audience? And then people will start jumping in and helping. So giving opinions is great, but it's uh, you have to be always super careful on how you do it because it can sound very uh, cocky, and uh, and that's that's something really, you know, it's it's good to have them, but like be careful. Okay, so I think I actually understand a bit better now why because um, in the context of say B two B sales. Um, like you said, the goal isn't necessarily to say build a personal brand, become a thought leader. Your goal, your goal is just to um, first establish, or just provide content at the start and really solve those problems. And the first thing, like you said, is don't become opinionated because people think you're just a jerk. Yeah, exactly. It's a different, it's a different landscape as opposed, yeah. you know, trying to establish yourself as the niche leader of some very small micro niche, for instance. Yeah. And you know, like for me is a, a first, like this says something. So uh, if, if we take, for example, our current situation where we are with the coronavirus, you see a lot on the news experts say, and what I've seen, if you look at, go back three weeks from now and look at what experts say, this is all wrong. We have the data to prove that they were all wrong, you know? And so in three weeks, what experts say is now will be all wrong. So that's one thing is when you say, hey, I'm an expert, you know, like when you claim you're an expert, for me, it's like, okay, that's a big red flag. So 
if you look at, at like all content I give or everything, I never say I'm an expert. I never say I'm an influencer. I never say I'm a thought leader because I don't believe I'm any of these three. I'm just like, you know, I'm here running experiment on something that is B2B sales. Mm -hmm. I have my approach. I have kind of like a, a few things I'm talking about. And, you know, so many times I've been proven wrong and I just showed that. And people are like, yeah, you're right. Actually, that's uh, not the right way. And then I learned what's a good way, what like a good way to work. And so for me, the way I see it is that often in sales or you will see frameworks where they say something like, okay, follow these eight steps and you will close every deal you want. And we all know it doesn't work. So for me, the way I believe is just like, hey, here's a toolbox. Here's like one tool. I try this tool on different things. It works well on that. It doesn't work on that. Back in the toolbox, if you want to use it, you go there and you, you pick your, your toolbox and you just use whatever you want to do. So for me, yeah. that's really the way I do it. It's just like, don't try to become an expert. Don't try to hide the fact that you don't know everything and just like be open about that. And what I found is a lot of people start following you, asking you questions. And, uh, and it's very refreshing because you, you like, it's super authentic and, uh, and, and seriously with customers, they don't approach me because uh, I know everything or whatever. They, they just, you know, there's something else. I don't know exactly why, but like, what but there's something else they buy basically yeah i really like that approach it's um you're not trying to be you know first off um it's always good to let the market tell you you're an influence instead of touting that you are one um but i like that uh, analogy how you said like this is a toolbox this is what i've used before and you can get success if you use it in this particular way however i don't know how to use all the tools for instance um so uh you know be careful with what tools you use. Yeah, exactly. All right. And I want to sort of shift gears a little bit towards say the LinkedIn messages and the outreach and um, especially when it comes to say like with our COVID economy, I guess you would say. Um, so have you had to adapt your sales process or your messaging and your language inside of the LinkedIn DMs when you're making that initial outreach and then further down um, that sales process? Um, yeah. So, so for me, uh, like my, my kind of uh, content, the, the, so I post once per day, it was generating enough inbound leads for me to, to run business. So it was going great, you know, and uh, you create content, people, they have a pain and they come to you very easily. And with this, actually, people just had uh, another bigger pain than that. So they stopped thinking about these kind of things and um, like the inbound leads dried up. And that's kind of a phenomenon you see everywhere around the world, except for companies like Zoom or whatever. But most companies see a, a, dry, like a, a drop in their inbound leads. So I went back to outbound uh, prospection and uh, in my messaging. And uh, that was really, actually was super beneficial for me this time because I had to restart like a bunch of experiments on that and I've changed the way I approach people. So uh, a, a few weeks ago, I was taking an approach where I was actually uh, creating value again. So I was thinking again, who are my CPs, what problems they have. And the problems they have is they have to reach the same revenue targets with low, like uh, uh, an economy that is not as good as before and also a lot less people because they had to fire people. So how do you do that? So for example, or how do you... Uh, change your compensation plan. So there's many kind of very specific things people are, are asking themselves. So what I did, I took like a, an approach. So I, I, I contacted very influential VPs of sales and say, hey, I'm leading a guide. So, and I would love to, love to have your opinion there on how you navigate 2020. So what are the trends, the opportunities, the risk, you know, which are often 
what the your decision makers will think about. So they will not think about details of your offering, but like like how can they get more market shares? How can they reduce risk? How can they increase opportunities? Was taking that and then I say, hey, approach people and say, hey, I'm actually building this guide. I'd love to share it with you, but I'd love to understand how you're currently dealing with the situation. Mm-hmm. And so my approach was never, hey, I can sell you sales training. It was like, hey, I actually have a guide there. I'd love to, to share it with you, but also understand if you want to contribute to it or how you're dealing with the current situation. And it worked really well. So out of 30 people, uh, 30 VPs of sales, I booked seven. Uh, you know, eight answered, I booked seven. And so it's like a 25% uh, booking rate, which is pretty big in outreach. And it didn't take me so much, uh, so much time to do that. And so yeah. I changed, yeah, changed that a lot and uh, worked a lot on being relevant, but also creative. A good way to be creative, for example, is to, to send like a voicemail on LinkedIn, which is a hidden feature, but it's like no one uses that. So when you receive a voicemail, you're like, what? And then people like, they, they listen to it and it increases the chances of them answering basically. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot here to unpack. And um, I really liked how you said it went back to your creating content, especially not just any content, but specifically what are the problems of your ICP and um, the problems that are relevant as well. So navigating 2020, I think that's just the flavor of the next year, I I guess. Um, Yeah. but, But also asking for their opinion, whether they want to contribute and um, asking if they're having a problem in this sort of space as well. And if they want to answer it, yeah. my question to you is, um, so then what's, what's that next step that then, so you, you present this to them, they're interested to either answer your question or contribute. Then how did you, what sort of, cause everyone's a bit, you know, like money's a bit harder to spend. It's not impossible. And there's definitely a lot flowing around, but it's just frozen. So then how would you change your language and messaging to then, ask them to get onto that next meeting or um, booking for an appointment? So once you have this first call, so uh, the interest is you're going to talk about that. And for me, is uh, uh, it's different from a normal discovery call where you will uh, kind of set the agenda and then try to, they will actually uh, talk to you because they have a certain problem that they think you can solve. But there, these problems are all very similar. Like they're all kind of a, there's always patterns in, in that. So one pattern, for example, is that in high growth, kind of when there's a lot of money, so now there's actually even more money than before, but as you said, it's frozen. So investments are waiting a bit. I think that's going to that's gonna get better, especially in tech. Uh, but so what happens is that people are actually, so in a normal like high growth company, whenever you have like an increase in revenue target, the first thing you do as a VP of sales is to hire someone. So you throw bodies on your on your cola and then you, you hope that's going to work. So you know, you say, okay, 20% increase in targets. I'm going to hire 20 new reps and you do that. But right now you can't. There's hiring freeze and it's way harder to actually hire people. So what you have to do is to make sure your current reps are actually better. And so one good way to do that is to do training. And so often what I do, so I, I, I talk about different things and I say, okay, what are the things you're actually trying to do? And often they say, okay, we're currently like setting up trainings with our teams like doing coaching calls and I say, okay, how do you do that? And then, you know, like they, they explain me, okay, I do this this way. And then, you know, I just like do a proper discovery. So I ask them what they've tried. And w- one way actually that, that I've, one thing I've done is that I'm doing like a quick two hour workshop now where I, I basically like provide training on how to do like cold outreach right now. And so this training helps the reps, but it also helps the manager like understanding the skill gaps of their sales teams. Mm-hmm. And then they see, okay, they didn't know their ICP. 
they don't know their problems, they don't really know how to use like cold calling or whatever. So then I know that I can do a training program for them on ICP problems and cold calling or cold emailing. And then you know that's where that's what I said after. Okay. So yeah. It's a very consultative approach, basically. Yeah, I, I really like this. And um let maybe maybe correct me if I'm if I'm skipping over some of the details. So um basically on this call, you're you're identifying their key problems. We've been over that. And then we, you've already got that ideal bridge to, so your, your solution is the answer to their problems. And then um, what you, what you're trying to do is get them onto um, a a training. Uh, Was you, did you say it was a free training first or was it say um, a paid training or how, how did that actually work in the specifics? So it's a, it's a paid training, but it's a very small uh, paid training. So it's two hours, very easy to put in place. You can just drop it like your weekly training. You do that and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very easy, it's like super cheap. So it's, the risk is really low. And so for me, it's, it, it accomplished many, way, many things. So uh, first, like now, before I was selling like projects, I was saying, okay, I do a project. Now what I did is like, I booked like I signed like training slots and my goal is to fill these training slots. And so what I do is like, that's my first way to actually tra- fill my training slot is to do this, this first little training. And uh, mm-hmm. the good way with that is I always want it to be paid. So the first few ones were for free so I can understand what people like. And now I really see the value that, that's there so that they, they pay. And it really helps because then they are more committed to it because they put money. And then yep. it makes more sense to go and convert because, you know, I always frame it, okay, that's like, there's a training we can do, but like, let's do a quick thing before. So we really understand what you need to do to the inner training. And then we talk about the training. And so it increases the chances that the conversion will really happen because they already spent money. And so this is kind of a sunk cost concept where they're like, okay, I spent already a bunch of money. So, you know, it would be stupid not to spend because, you know, we, we did like the, the plan. So it's kind of different things I do. That's why I always want to make it pay because otherwise it's, uh, you know, it's just like me for free doing, do, you know and it doesn't provide me anything so yep okay there's 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 a few things that are really good here because everyone on their dog right now on linkedin is offering a free webinar and so it it kind of just makes sense like if you're paying for it it's it's clearly going to be higher value content and yeah. um i'm, I'm going to be guessing that you're you're giving them a lot of upfront, upfront value um and at the end it's 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 tailored toward a, like a, a level up pitch or it's like a level up offer. Um, is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really, so you create like a, that's why I, this offer is packaged. So it's an offer. I really know how to do. I really know what value it provides, you know? So basically it's like a two hour, like a outreach kind of a workshop where we redefine the RCPs and we say, okay, like we, we go and build like a outreach strategy together. And then they have an implementation plan to make sure that that happens for them. So yeah. at the end of a month, you know, they, they have the training and they have like uh, the plan working and they can see how it works. And I know it works really well compared to most outreach campaigns. And then they come back to me and be like, well, that really works. I say, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's just like one small part of, of, uh, of value I can provide to your team. Yeah. So it's okay. really showing the, this, this, you know, it's, it's not a freemium model, but it's very similar because the price of this small training will be very small compared to a normal engagement, but then they, they, they have an idea. It's, it's a concept of doing a POC or a pilot basically. Yeah. I really like this. And um, it can be definitely for the people who are really smart listening to this, you can definitely adapt it to 
whatever business you're in, you don't have to necessarily be in B2B. So pretty much the strategy that um, Thibault is saying is that initially you're trying to get into a, onto a really good premium training and then essentially getting them into a business intensive meeting where you're showing them what are the next steps they can apply themselves and get a lot of results from that. Um, yeah. And then that itself is going to then lend to you know, doing more work with you. I really, really yeah. like it. Exactly. And it took me a while to realize that seriously, because before, uh, so, you know, these guys keep uh, the, the, the sales trainer in the US. So, you know, I'm, I'm still in contact with him and uh, he gives me a lot of uh, mentoring and advice. And uh, one that he gave me is, is about the price he's practicing. And, uh, and you know, I was like, okay, so, so basically I, I increased my price by 540% in 12 months. And so the value provided also went with that. And, and then people take you way more seriously. And uh, so, you know, my, my training are, uh, honestly, they are pretty expensive. And so, you know, I was like, I w- was able to sell that, no problem. But like, it's way harder because people are like, if you don't have a huge brand, people don't really know you. And this, you have to build use case. And so it's pretty tough uh, to sell this kind of training because it's very premium. And so one, one thing that I found is like by really like going into something very small and a lot of value for a small risk, then this justifies this premium because they know what they get and it's so much easier to make the decision. So, so you know, before I was just like using my words and my salesmanship to actually close that. Now I just show results and it's a lot, lot better than uh, just pitching basically. Yeah. And um, it's, it's going through like a real trust a mountain i would say like very small commitments along the way building your trust like you said and and that i'm sure that along the way that even in that pay premium sort of lesson that you've got all these little testimonials and results to show them along the way to really prove that you're legit and um about i really love this process um if one way to wrap this up uh what are some of the biggest mistakes that you're probably seeing right now in b2b sales um and what are some steps even if it's not necessarily B2B sales, maybe just even selling on LinkedIn, um, maybe what are some actionable steps my audience can take so they, they don't fall into these traps? So biggest mistakes, especially on LinkedIn or in general in B2B sales? In link, on LinkedIn, yeah. Yeah. So uh, so big, big mistake is uh, what I see is a lot of time people just go and uh, try to start social selling or using LinkedIn and they start talking about their company. And they always talk about their business. They say, hey, we do this, so happy, like we, we have raised money or we have a really cool like uh, team lunch or we are hiring. So they talk about them all the time. And, you know, they use that with their corporate kind of company page on LinkedIn and it's, uh, you know, even personal. And they will share only links about their company, what they do. This is useless. Seriously, like no one cares. When you see that, you're just like, okay, that's, you know, it's another marketing driven kind of uh, campaign. And it's, it's really, seriously, no one cares. And uh, so that's one big mistake a lot of people do. So what I really recommend is just, again, remember who's your ICP, who you want to sell to, what problems are they trying to solve, and then like create content, curate content for them to solve this problem. Give you an example. Uh, there's kind of a, a travel like expense management software is something pretty big everywhere where you, whenever consultants can travel, basically they, 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 they create a huge amount of expense. And in Europe, we have two airlines, EasyJet and Ryanair that are kind of super widespread. So even if you're doing business travel, most people will use these airlines. And the big problem with these airlines 
is that you have to to actually get like a VAT invoice is just a nightmare. So you have to request it, like go and find it. It's just super shitty, but you can do it. So one thing you can do, if you're selling an expense management software, you create content, a checklist of five points on how to claim like a Ryanair expense. You know, and they say, okay, do this, or even create a small script, whatever, super easy to do. is say, do these, four, these five steps and you'll get your Ryanair invoice automated. You just do that, super easy to do, and it solves the problem they have, you know, because, and then they'll be like, okay, that's pretty cool. I can solve a problem. And then say, oh, by the way, this, so this company solves a lot of other problems in the same area. So that's really thinking about that. And, uh, and yeah, think about the problems your customer have and try and solve part of, part of them. And that's, that's going to help a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, um, the more I talk to um, LinkedIn selling people or LinkedIn experts or anyone in particular, it's so easy to get caught up in thinking like, what's the really nice, sexy new thing that's, that's coming out that's working right now. Um, but it it really isn't. It's just coming down to understanding who you're talking to, who's your market, what's their problem and how you can really serve them. Um, actually give them something they can do. That's pretty achievable. Like that little, um, like here's how you solve that, um, that really crappy airlines invoicing problem. Boom. Yeah. Really easy to fix. I love it. Yeah. So Tibau, um, is there, what, how can my audience find you? Um, your, what's the name of your podcast? And um, I'd be more than happy for you to have, you know, a little plug at the end of this episode. Yeah. So basically they can uh, find me on the, on, so on saleslabs.io. So they go to uh, www.saleslabs. So S-A-L-E-S-L-A-B-S.io. And if they put a slash LinkedIn uh, minus training, they will actually access to the, the kind of landing page of my LinkedIn training. They get a 25% discount actually uh, for just being a listener from you. We oh, need cool. to find a way, but like uh, they just say that you come from, uh, from, from Julian and, uh, and you'll, you'll be fine. So that's where they can, they can find a lot of data about uh, sales labs. I do a lot of blog posts and they will also find the, the podcast over there. It's called the B2B sales podcast, but it's also hosted on the same page. But seriously, the best way to get in touch and get value out of me is to add me on LinkedIn. So it's Timo Suiris. Maybe you put you can put the link on the uh, in the description. The, yeah, that's where you can go. Uh, reach out to me. Seriously, just like uh, just mention that you heard me from the podcast because I get a lot of requests. And uh, if you're really random, you know, I'm not gonna accept you because I get like a lot now. Um, but just like just mention you from the podcast. And and if you have any question, happy to help. I produce a lot of content around around that. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's where people can get, uh, you know, can get more of me basically. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Tibau. And, um, yeah, I'm going to leave that all in the description. And so thank you so much for coming on to storytelling secrets. Yeah. Thanks for having me.